It is the ways of life and it is the way of the Lord that on a week when we mourn the loss of someone so young, we also are preparing to celebrate the gift of new life. Pastor Megan is in labor as we speak. So, here we go. Can't wait to see her up here preaching with that baby, you know, in one of those things on front of her. <laughs> We're continuing our journey through the story. I, I hope that you are not just enjoying this, I hope that you're being enlivened by this, inspired by this. It, it is the abridged version of the Bible that allows us to go from Genesis to Revelation and look at the great themes and the, the great landmarks, the great characters of Scripture. It, uh, it also allows us to take a look for what we're calling the scarlet thread. That's unique to what we're doing. Uh, what is the scarlet thread? The, the appearance of Jesus as we find him in the Old Testament from the beginning to the end. Have you been surprised at how often the Lord Jesus appears, whispers of him, glimpses of him in the, in, throughout the whole scripture? We're going to see him again today. So I want to ask, this is our moment of accountability. How many read chapter 6 last week? Great, 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 great. That's one of the many reasons it's fun to pastor this church, because you guys take this stuff seriously. If you haven't yet raised your hand, could I just urge you? You know, you can come on Sunday, and it's a good thing. We kind of believe it's a good thing. And you'll get something out of being here. But you will not get the same thing out of this if you don't throw yourself into this. You know that. You get what you give. And so I would urge you, whatever the case, go buy the book and get with the system. It will make a difference in your life. A year from now, it's going to be a different story for you. So I, I entreat you to join with the rest of us. I want to take a look back a few weeks just to remind ourselves. By the way, thanks to Pastor Bill for his great message uh, last week. I want to take us back even further, though. We remember that God approached an, a pagan from the city of Ur named what? Abram. Abram. His name was Abram. And he came to Abram and he made several promises to Abram. He said, I, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my man. And, uh, and I'm going to make of you a great nation, which was a very unlikely promise since he was talking to a man who was old and they were barren. They had no children. And yet that was the promise of God. I will make of you a great nation. But there was one other piece to that promise that God made to Abram. Do you remember what that other piece was? He said, I'm going to take you to a new land right? I want you to leave the place where you live. I want you to leave your father's house and household, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. Didn't even tell him where they were going to go. Talk about faith. He just said, I want you to start marching, and I will take you to a land. Now, that, that journey was delayed by about 430 years, wasn't it? Because they ended up a little sojourn in Egypt for more than four centuries, but God delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh uh, through a m- series of miraculous interventions. God sets his people free, and, uh, and so they're off and running. They're across the other side of the Red Sea, and surely they're on their way to the, uh, to the promised land. But almost from the moment that they were set free... These people who had been set free by God began to complain. From the beginning, they whined. They whined about everything. They whined about the food. They whined about the water. They whined about the fact that there were no cucumbers like there were back in Egypt. You think I'm kidding. Just read the story. They whined about cucumbers for crying out loud. They had seen the greatest act of God, miraculous dealings of God, and yet they just did nothing but complain. And the final straw came when 
when they sent two, 12 spies into the promised land to check out this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. And they come back and they say, yeah, it's just like you said. It's awesome. It is an unbelievably rich place. But what? It's filled with giants. It's filled with giants and we're like little grasshoppers. They'll just squash us. And so when the rest of the people heard the report of these spies, they began to complain again. They whined again. We don't want to go to the promised land. It's going to be too hard. All but two. All but two. Two of them said, are you kidding? Suck it up. The Lord has done this. God has done this. And if God is in this, then we can surely take this land. Who were the two that said that? Caleb and Joshua. Joshua is Moses' successor. And by the way, here's our next glimpse of the scarlet thread. What is the... There's someone in the New Testament who has the exact same name as Joshua. Who was that? Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. So already we're catching a glimpse of the God who saves, one day seen fully in Jesus, but now we get a glimpse of him in this man, Joshua. And the picture that we get of Jesus in the life of Joshua is a very different picture than we see portrayed in the Gospels. The gentle Jesus, meek and mild, turn the other cheek Jesus, that's only for a season. Because there's going to be a Jesus who comes in the book of Revelation. A Jesus who comes at end times. The Jesus of Revelation 19 who will come riding on a white horse with a double-sided sword piercing out of his mouth. And he will slay all that is evil, all that is wrong. It is only a matter of time. But ultimately we learn, ultimately we learn Christ will call all to account for their evil. The fact is every man and woman stands before a God who will not tolerate, will not abide sin. And if we do not have a Savior, we are lost. I guarantee you, you want to meet Jesus the Savior and not Jesus the warrior on the white horse. I guarantee it. And so we get a glimpse of that in, in, uh, in the book of Joshua. And it is, a, it is a hard thing. It is a hard reality. But this is the glimpse that we get of, of Jesus. Anyway, after they begin whining about the promised land and about it being too hard and not wanting to go in, God says, fine. Then you won't. You just stay here on this side of the Jordan River. In fact, all of you will stay here on this side of the Jordan River. Not one of you of this generation is going to make its way over to the other side and into the land that I have promised. Not one. It will be the new generation, your children, led by the two who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of you will stay. And that is exactly what happened. For 40 more years, they sat there on the other side of the Jordan River, looking at the land they might have had, but that they were refused, that God refused to allow them until every last whiner had breathed his last. And it was only then that God fulfilled his promise, the promise of a land for his people that he had made nearly a half a millennium earlier. God has a very good memory. And now we come to a new generation. I was struck about this people as I was praying and writing this sermon this week, struck about this people. I call them the the children of the wilderness. They were great kids raised by lousy parents. They were great kids raised by lousy, whining parents. They were too young to remember the miracles in Egypt. Some of them, most of them weren't even alive for the miracles in Egypt. They did remember the miracle of manna. That gracious, miraculous gift of God every morning so that the people would have something to to eat in the wilderness. But what else did they remember about manna? That their parents whined about it because they got tired of the taste. It doesn't taste good. We need salsa. (laughs) 
These ungrateful complainers were terrible examples to their kids. But that's not the worst of all. The worst thing is that these parents withheld from their children, the children of the wilderness, the sign of the covenant, the sign of the promise that God had made to Abram. Do you remember what the sign of that covenant was? Yes, circumcision. They, while they were in Egypt, they were continued to be circumcised, we are told. But for some reason, this generation that saw the greatest work of God's faithfulness since Abraham was called, this generation failed to circumcise their children, the children of the wilderness, during their wandering time. It would be the equivalent of us withholding our sign of the covenant, baptism from our children. It is unconscionable. And you think, what was going on here? But now the whiners are dust. And God renews his covenant with the children of the wilderness. And he does it in several powerful ways. You will read, first of all, that he gives them their own mini exodus. When they come to the Jordan River, it is flooded. How in the world are they going to get from one side to the other? There was no Allenby Bridge in those days. And what does God do? He holds back the water so that the people once again walk across on dry land. They set up a pile of stones to remember the event. If you want to read what what was said about the stones, read our cornerstone outside on the way out today. So they set up this pile of stones to remember God's great work. There's even a glimpse of the Passover. If you read the story of Rahab, and you will see a house that is protected under the scarlet thread of, of, uh, of that. You read that part of the story. So there was that as well. God begins to renew his covenant in all kinds of wonderful ways. And then as soon as they are on the other side of the river, they're standing on the promised land. Joshua said, all right, first things first, we are going to make things right. And so every man of that generation, the children of the wilderness, was circumcised in Gilgal. The camp was quiet for a few days. And aren't you guys glad that we don't require that as one of our membership requirements? You know, baptism is fine, but whoo, that would cut down on our male membership, I think. And finally, last thing is that the manna stops. Once they're into the promised land, the manna stops. In other words, God is saying, okay, no more free food. If you're going to survive, if you're going to, uh, to, then you're going to have to eat from the fruit of the land of milk and honey. I've given it to you, but you're going to have to work. So that was the, the beginning of this new generation, new covenant. The problem is, the problem is, the land was occupied. It wasn't like it was just empty sitting there to be taken. It was occupied with a whole list of tribes. The Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the stalactites, the (laughs) stalagmites, a lot of them, a lot of ites. And they're not interested in sharing. They like their land and they want to hold on to it. If the Jews want it, they're going to have to take it and it won't be a cakewalk. Because, and this is really important for you to understand when you're reading this week, all of these ites were wicked, utterly, utterly wicked. The things that they did make ISIS look like Boy Scouts. So frankly, when you're reading this week and you're reading about the conquest, you're going to find that it is pretty darn brutal. It is kind of harsh and it's going to cause, it'll give you pause. But I want you to remember once again what we talked about a few weeks ago. It is a reminder that we serve a holy God. A holy God who will will not countenance wickedness, will not countenance sin, and one day will render judgment on every evil thing in this world. And we see a glimpse of that as the uh, Israelite people began to destroy these, these city-states one at a time. So what was the first stop in the new land? 
What city? Jericho. Jericho. Jericho is the oldest city, existing city in the world. It is the lowest city in the world, and at the time it was formidable. The outside wall had, was six feet wide, and you can still see some of the archaeology of it to this day. The outside wall was six feet wide. The inner wall was 12 feet wide. It was bristling with guards. And as Joshua and his people were there looking at this daunting side, God made this remarkable statement. He said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. The word there is past tense. I've already delivered Jericho into your hands. What might your response have been? Well, not exactly. No, not exactly. I mean, they are on the other side of the wall, and we're on this side of the wall, and they got lots of spears and rocks and stuff. Not really, Lord. You have not actually delivered Jericho into our hands yet. But Joshua trusts the Lord, and he outlines the battle plan that he has for them. But as they continue on, I suspect some of them thought, this is the craziest battle plan we've ever heard. So listen to what the Lord told them. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, every one straight in. So that's God's battle plan. Take a box with sticks on it, walk around with trumpets and blow once a day, every day. That's his plan. It sounded crazy, but that's what they did. So for six days, they marched around Jericho, blowing the trumpets, carrying the ark, and then they returned to camp. Can you imagine what happened in the walls on day one? It was like DEFCON 1. Because these soldiers, these people, they had heard about the God of the Jews. And they were nervous about his power. And so I'm sure they were on high alert. But then they just turned around and go home. Day two, maybe a little, maybe DEFCON 2. But there's... But, but, Still, they're on alert. Then come day three, and day four, and day five, and day six. By now, they're laughing them, mocking them, mooning them. That's where we got that term. (laughs) And then comes day seven. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpets shouted, sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so that everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. You know the Negro spiritual about this, this event, don't you? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. When I did um, youth ministry, we jazzed it up a little bit. And the walls came tumbling down, 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 be dooby down, 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 be dooby down, 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 be dooby down, down to the ground. louder, harder,
So we can laugh about it, but this battle shaped the children of the wilderness for the rest of their lives, as is typical of the way history was written in these ancient times. The first account is given in more detail, but there were city after city after city to be conquered, and all of them was the same formula. God says, I'm going to give you this city, but you've got to take it. I'm going to give you the city, but you've got to take it. And it is an interesting reminder of how it is that God gives what he promises. And I wonder how many here have failed to take possession of the promises of God in your life because you expect him to hand them to you on a silver platter. The greatest promises in, in life still require us to risk and to work and to fight and to sometimes bleed and even to fail. That's how God grows us. That is how God shapes us. That is how God engages us in his mission. And frankly, I think that is how we keep from becoming the spoiled children like the wilderness whiners who never had to work for anything and ended up taking God's incredible goodness for granted. I think this generation, the children of the wilderness, I think they might be the greatest generation in the Bible. At least the greatest generation in the Old Testament. They had bumps along the way, but as you will read... Unlike their parents, and sadly, unlike the generation that would follow them, they followed for more than 40 faithful years. They trusted God. They obeyed God. They did what God told them. They fought. They bled. They died because they trusted God. And finally, they had a big chunk of the promised land. In the last chapter of the book of Joshua, you will read this part of the story too. Joshua gives one last speech. He's 110 years old. He's about to die. He's been at this now for more than 40 years, leading these people in taking the promised land God had promised. And now in his final speech, he reminds them once again of God's faithfulness, and he pronounces this incredible benediction that I bet you'll remember. Here's what Joshua says to his people. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as, together with me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. For 40 faithful years, 40 faithful years, and yet Joshua was looking to the next generation, wasn't he? He was breathing, about to breathe his last, and he was looking to the next generation. These words are words of legacy. Beloved, every one of you will leave a legacy. Every one of us will leave a legacy of some kind. It will be a good legacy. It will be a bad legacy. It will be an indifferent legacy. But every one of us will. The question is, how do we leave a legacy like this? A legacy like Joshua's legacy. A legacy where we can stay... With all of our heart, I don't care what anyone else does. I don't care what direction our country might go in. I don't care if our government or our courts abandon thousands of years of moral tradition. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know why it was possible for Joshua to say this in the last chapter of his book? Because of what God said to him in the first chapter of his book. And so... To conclude, I take us back to the very first chapter before they make their march into the promised land. Here is what God says to Joshua to straighten his spine. My servant Moses is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you hear a theme? Be what? Strong and courageous. Three times God repeats it. Very courageous even. Be strong. I think he's saying. Be strong in obeying the law that I have given you. Neither to the right nor to the left. You stay with the law. Be strong in that. Be courageous as you fight the battles that are before you. For you will have battles. Be strong and courageous. And if you are, you will be successful. You will be prosperous. You will be blessed. And 40 years later... The children of the wilderness had a foothold in the promised land because they did what God told them. They were strong in their obedience. They were courageous and God blessed them. So, is that the key? If if I work hard at being a good person, if I am an obedient keeper of all the religious rules, if I screw up my courage, if I dig down deep, is that how I leave a noble legacy. Some people think so. And lots of Christians think so too. They think my legacy is dependent upon my being a good and brave person. But if you think that, then you miss the five most important words that God spoke to Joshua in this speech. What were the five most important words? I will be with you. I will be with you. And God repeats himself. Again, just in case they weren't certain about it. In verse 9, he says, Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It is the living presence of God, the glorious God that we have met, that allows us to, to leave a noble legacy. I am not strong and courageous because I decide to be. This week has certainly taught me that. I can be strong and courageous when I remember that no matter what I face, no matter the loss, no matter the pain, no matter the battle, no matter the whatever I face, the Lord God, Yahweh, is with me wherever I go. And oh, this week, how we need to remember this promise. In a moment, we are going to read the names of our departed family and friends. And every name has a legacy attached to it. And like every church, every gathering of people, it's a mixed bag. Some, their legacy is one of missed opportunity, of selfishness or stinginess, of infidelity. For some, it was a legacy of a life stolen by alcohol or of kids who never felt loved or spouses who never felt treasured. But there are other names that you will read up there who were like Joshua, not perfect, But they were faithful, and they were strong, and they were courageous, and obedient, and powerful. And their household was marked by their witness 
Not because they tried hard to be good people, but because they believed that the Lord was with them. Because they allowed the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory who dwelt within them, to change them because they were transformed day by day, week by week, year by year, from one battle to the next into the image of Christ. I know the legacy that I want to leave. For someday my name will be on that list. I want children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who love Jesus. I want a wife who felt my love and adoration. I want a church that experienced my faithful ministry and my generosity. I want disciples for Jesus whom I have made who are making other disciples for Jesus. I want Gig Harbor to be more like the promised land and less like Egypt. And I... That's what I hope will be my legacy. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you?